I love being a father. I have the opportunity of being a father to uh, three children, and and every stage of life is so unique. Right now, uh, my my two girls, Trinity and Stella, are at a place right now where they can uh, uh, understand their social uh, place and, and where they're learning certain skills like negotiating terms or manipulation. There, there's one uh, story that comes to my mind, and I actually asked Trinity if I could use this, and she doesn't really care, <laughs> so I can, I can exploit her all I want. Uh, so I, uh, uh, she had the iPad, and she was playing on it, and, I'll, and then I told her, uh, in five minutes, Trinity, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get the iPad back, and, and she was okay with it until five minutes went by, and then she was a disaster, and then she was just this sobbing mess, um, because... Uh, she felt that she had a right to play longer, and, and she felt entitled to even tell me how long that would be. And, uh, and of course, me being the father, I put my foot down and, you know, said, no, that's not going to happen. And, and in those instances, I get to whip out, you know, my favorite, you know, Gru impression from the movie Despicable Me and say something like, well, then it'll be a long night for you. <laughs> and then I take the iPad away. I get to use that and perfect that one a lot uh, because... Uh, I get in those situations quite a bit. We learn the illusion of entitlement at a very young age. The dictionary uh, defines it as the fact of having a right to something or the amount to which a person has a right. We have an entitlement issue this day and age, more so now than ever before. We are obsessed with fighting for our rights and entitlements. This mindset manifests itself through many different decisions that we make, uh, day-to-day life. For instance, one is, uh, I have a job at a factory, and so then I feel like I'm entitled to having benefits. Um, I have uh, so and so much money that I made from my job, and so I feel I'm entitled to um, a loan so that I can buy my dream home. Um, I live in Canada, so I'm entitled to have child tax. I've raised my own children, and so I'm entitled to spoil my grandchildren rotten to the core. I can say that because my parents are in Mississippi right now. (laughs) Um, That's my evil laugh. So, and I I know when I'm a grandparent, I'm going to throw... That one out the window to uh, sugar, sugar, sugar. Um, okay, so after a while, we start to think that some of these rights and privileges that we get, that, that they become, they're, they're normal. But that just simply is not true. And, and you will not have to go far to realize that. Just go, go to Detroit and get hurt. Go to the hospital and realize how far your, your right to Canadian uh, health care benefits go. You won't get them unless you bought insurance. So we are surrounded by a society that makes our desires the main goal in life. That we are entitled to prosper. The world owes it to me to be comfortable. As this mentality sinks in, we begin to believe that the focus of life is to please us. We in North America have failed our younger generation. By thinking this way, um, 
that life is simply about, I guess the American term would be, the pursuit of happiness. That that is our end. That's, that's the end all right there. And as a, as a result, we have successfully raised a generation that doesn't work. And they have absolutely no motivation to work either. And most employers could probably uh, see where I'm coming from with that. It's a mentality that we've acquired over the last few decades. We set up a perspective through things like, I would say, not, I believe it's a very complicated issue, but I believe that our public educational system um, is, is partly to blame for this. We are now in the process of eliminating point systems, and even soccer games, so that we can teach children that they are entitled to win, even when they don't. We are throwing out grade systems in public schools, maybe not all right away, but in terms of failing. We're throwing that out to teach kids that everyone is entitled to pass, whether they earned it or not. We have allowed our educational system to teach our children that they are entitled to accept any gay feelings as good and to explore their sexuality in that way. Our school systems have blurred the gender lines to teach our children that they are entitled to decide whether or not they are a boy or whether they are a girl. I'm not making these things up. These are some of the things that we're going through. And actually, I just found out after I did the first sermon that there's a table out there. If you are concerned and if this is something that that God has really given you a burden for, um, Lisa Jansen is out there and a few other people are out there um, with information in regards to some of the things that are being implemented into our public school uh, system. So if this is something that you're interested in, I want to encourage you after the service to go check out that table and grab some of this information. Read it through. If anything, even if you don't have kids in the system, these are excellent prayer requests. These are not, I wish th- those things were things that I could just say, yeah, that might be coming into our system. But a lot of these things are being implemented as we speak. This is not something that's fiction. This is becoming our reality. And this is, this is the condition that the church gets to break in the kingdom. This is the opportunity. This is what we were chosen, uh, this is where we were chosen to be. And so we will have to figure out how we deal with some of, and how we respond with some of these issues. I don't want to touch too much on that, but I want to touch on one thing. The truth is that I have noticed that this mentality, this attitude of entitlement, has made its way into our churches. And it slowly creeps into our theology. It seeps its way into how we view God, to how we pray, and even read the Bible. This isn't a new idea, though. This isn't a new way of thinking. Jesus actually addressed this 2,000 years ago. Uh, Pastor Ike spoke on this uh, parable when he did the parable series uh, in Matthew 20. And this is the parable of the workers, the landowner. It's uh, found in Matthew 20. I'm just going to read a portion of it later on. I'm just going to set up the stage here so you understand what's going on. There's a landowner, and this landowner decides to hire a few people that he sees. So he's like, you group of people, would you want to work for me for a denarius? And they're like, absolutely, put us to work. So he puts them to work, and throughout the day, he recruits more and more workers. Well, it even gets to the point where it's an hour before the end of the day, and he still recruits a group of workers, so they start working. And there comes a time where they're lining up, they're ready for their payment, and then he gives them all a denarius. And you can imagine the feelings and the emotions of the person who is sitting there, (laughs) 
It's like, I worked a 12-hour day, and you're paying the guy who came here an hour before it ended? And you're going to pay him the same amount as me? Well, that's just simply not fair. I've got a right to be paid better or him uh, less than me because I've earned it. Jesus' take on this landowner's response is, is interesting. This is what he says. This is how he answers. But he answered one of them. I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give you I want to give the one who has who was hired last the same as I give gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. I love it how Pastor Ike explained it in uh, the last tithing series. He says that that it's not us giving 10% of what we worked for to God. It's God allowing us to keep 90%. See, the thing is, the paradigm shift, the mental shift is that it was God's to begin with. And that'll sort of be the the resounding uh, theme that, that, that I'm going to try to to break through here, that it was God's to begin with, and we have no right to tell God what he can do with his ability, because we're humans, and he is God. Everything that we have, everything that we have is borrowed. It's our house, our body, our children. We will not have it forever. It's hard to think of life in those terms of being, of borrowing stuff, like these are not my lungs, I'm going to return them one day. These are God's. He's only given them to me for a while. It's hard to think that way because we don't have like actual documentation and, if, and everything sort of feels like we own situations and we own our body and stuff. Five years ago at this time, well, I was uh, five years ago, fall, my wife was admitted into a hospital. Uh, she uh, was uh, nine months pregnant. Oh, eight and a half months, or eight months pregnant, sorry, uh, with uh, our first child, and she went in for a routine checkup, and we discovered, well, she discovered that, that she had a, a serious heart infection, an infection growing on her heart called um, um, uh, bacterial endocarditis. And so, as a result, I came home, I was expecting to see her, and then I get a phone call, and she's saying, I'm going to have to stay at the hospital for an indefinite amount of time, I'm thinking it just might be the weekend, and I was distraught. I'm like, what? You know, and the, the thoughts came flooding in. Wow, this is so weird. Like, I'm, I'm so used to praying for other people in this situation. I'm not used to being the one in this situation. And so I didn't know how this would affect um, our firstborn child. I didn't know what this meant for, for Maria, because not even the, the cardiologist knew. And it was a very unique situation, especially the fact that she was about to give birth. So we had no idea. So time after time, one week went by, two weeks went by, and no wife at home. She was in the hospital. And, and uh, that was, for me, uh, a huge level, a huge playing field to get through. Uh, a big mental shift had to happen because I was upset with God. And I asked the, the question, why me? Why, why would you allow this God? I... 
I'm a youth leader. I, I, I've, I've helped lead worship. I, I, I go to church and I pray. I read my Bible. These are the things that I do. And, and, and I felt like God owed it to me to have prosperity. <laughs> prosperity gospel. As if he owed it to me. Well, Maria ended up having um, uh, a lot of antibiotics pumped through her and, and deal with some of the, uh, 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 her tricuspid valve. So she was okay. Uh, our, our daughter Trinity was born. Uh, so she was, uh, she was fine. Everything was great. God really blessed us with that. So Maria was fine. Trinity was fine. But God needed to do surgery on me. God needed to give me peace that, that Maria's health, my wife's health, was not a right. It was a gift. It was not a right. It was a gift. God was not to blame. Sin was to blame. And it is a miracle that we have this health to begin with. See, a lot of times in life, we, we have this model that we, that we build out in our head. And everyone's model looks different, but it's generally the same thing. We usually start off with life. All the details, all the things, right? So this is sort of in a nutshell what my life looks like. Bunch of cups, right? Um, so you got movies, skateboarding, books. I don't know how Apple got on there. Friends, uh, money, uh, baby, food, and love. And of course, it's a lot more detailed and messed up and, and, and a lot more sloppy than that. And then when we accept Jesus into our heart, we usually just sprinkle God on top, right? And so that, that's how we often do it, right? So we just put... Sprinkle God, and we try to put it in the flavor of how we uh, talk to customers at work or, we, uh, or how we relate to people, but, but this is our life, right? And I would, I would uh, suggest that this is an unbiblical perspective of how we are to live out the Christian walk. I believe that you can't, you can't just sprinkle Jesus on top of all the messiness of life. You need to start with, with Christ and then have him define the rest of everything else so that it looks something like that instead of sprinkling God on top of everything else because then we're allowing life to dictate how we see God. So if we're in a good situation, then all of a sudden we're super Christians. So then we have no problem cracking the Bible and, and reading and, and then praying for those people who, are, uh, who have health issues and stuff like that who are going through marital problems and those people who are going through financial crisis. But it's a totally different story when that person is you. Then suddenly, you start to doubt. Why me, God? We need to place the cross at the bottom of everything. That needs to be our starting point. The cross was given to us with only one right. We only have one right. We don't even have to fight for it. It's the right to be called children of God and to be judged for what we did with that. Our only right is judgment. I want to read some scripture from Proverbs chapter 30, 7 to 9. It's a prayer done by the psalmist. And, and to me, I, every time I read it, it just... Um, it's very difficult for me to swallow. Let me, uh, let me read it. Proverbs 37 and 9 says, Two things I ask of you, Lord. 
Do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies from me. Give me nor, uh, neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may, have, I, I may have too much and disown you and say, Who is my Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of the Lord, of my God. At what point in your relationship with God do you pray that? This is the prayer done by a man who has given up all earthly rights and entitlements and has become fully dependent on God. Give me only my daily bread. I have never in my life heard anybody pray anything close to that. Give me only, um, don't give me savings. Don't give me retirement. That's like saying, Lord, let me live paycheck to paycheck. North America questions God when he answers those. We question him. North America prays something like this. Lord, give me enough so that I don't have to think about you. And that is so true, for myself included. I got so many things. I know a lot more. We always compare ourselves. Yeah, I got a lot, but you should see that guy down the street. He's got the newest Mac Mini, and he's got this car, whatever. We here in North America are rich. We've got so much. We've got so much that we could easily get lost in that stuff. And be like, oh, yeah, almost forgot. God, um, you know, take care of me. I need you. I love you. You know, so... Am I saying that uh, we should uh, sell everything but, but just have enough to sell? I'm not saying that you need to quit your job and, and you need to like, do a huge, massive amount of changes, though you know, maybe God is calling to you to that. Uh, I'm not at liberty to say that. However, I'm more addressing the heart than I am the actual physical, material aspects of this. Do you understand what I'm... It's more of a heart issue than it is anything else. God wants you at a place where you are dependent on him. We need to get out of this entitlement mentality. Are you willing to pray that prayer? A prayer that gives up its entitlements in return for God's favor? I'm going to look at some ways to overcome this curse of entitlement. One is show empathy. Try identifying with others. Get rid of some of your competitive nature and try to see people the way you see yourselves. A person in need of affirmation. Number two, rejoice in the happiness of others. When a a person gets a promotion at work, be happy for them. When when a a student, uh, a classmate gets an A, be excited for them, encourage them. When someone comes to you and says, hey, we're pregnant, be happy for them. I mean, that's mostly for girls, right? For guys, I'm becoming more and more aware that we're just not meant to get excited for other guys who are having babies. Um, a lot of my friends are having babies now. <laughs> Last night, I, <laughs> I, looked, I looked at the person, I gave him a thumbs up. I'd be like, congratulations, you know? It's like, what does a guy say to that? Like, good job. <laughs> 23-year chromosomes are now 
there. <laughs> you know, girls have these words and like thing. Guys are like, keep it real. Um, I don't know. But be, be grateful for one another. You know, it, it, I believe that if we were to think this way more, uh, yeah, uh, being, being grateful. Uh, we have heard that, you know, be, be grateful, be grateful. We've heard it said so often. We, we experience uh, Thanksgiving, and we go through this, but how do we actually live this out? When, when you believe that every minute is a gift by your Creator, that every person you see is an opportunity to show the love of Christ. That when you walk into the grocery store with your, with your cart, and you're automatically thinking about, ooh, produce aisle. Stop before you think about the produce, before you think about getting around that old lady, before you're thinking about that stuff. Look around the store and be like, who can I bless? How can I be grateful for, for all of this? How can I be grateful that I have money to actually buy groceries with? I believe that would dramatically transform our outlook on life. The last one I want to talk about is letting go of expectations. See, I think that oftentimes we come to God like this. We make this, this contract for God, right? We're like, and this one's mine. I made this one up myself. A wife who loves me, um, children who love me, a job in which I can excel and cultivate my gifts, an education that will cultivate my interests and God-given gifts. Health, so that I will be able to do the will of God and spread the kingdom here on earth. Uh, food to survive and occasionally enjoy. Uh, shelter to live in as I live out the mission God has laid before me. Sounds pretty spiritual. I kind of like it. So anyways, I, I, bring it, I bring this to God. I'm like, well, here you go, God. And, you know, I've got this part here where I signed, and I'm just, you know, I want God to sign it now and have his blessings for my beautiful, I even chose really nice font for him, so he would like that. And so that's what I expect from God. All right, God, you, you've made me superstar of my life, and, and I just want your blessing. I don't think that God... And I remember this actual object lesson being done to me by a, a pastor, Lowell Froze, who's an associate pastor at the EMC Church. He was my youth pastor. And uh, the first day on the job, this is his Bible study. And, and obviously it had an impact because I'm doing it for you this morning. And it still strikes truth to me that, uh, today. This is, I believe that God wants this. I think life contract, empty. The scary thing is, you've got no idea what God's going to put on here. But your name's on it. That's like a blank check. How much are they going to want? How much can your bank account hold? That's kind of scary. I think that that's the mentality that God wants. See, a lot of times we feel that we've been entitled to all this. We've been entitled to this. I don't think that that, I don't believe that that is exactly how God works. We need to understand that this is no longer your life. When you accept Jesus into your heart and you decide to live for him, you are not your own. You are bought with the price. You belong to Jesus because, because God gave everything in order to have you. You are no longer your own. I believe that if you have a hard time with this concept, if you have a hard time with 
Because this is kind of, for some of us, this is difficult. We're used to taking pictures of ourselves. We're used to walking down the street as if, like, we're, we feel like we're the center of attention all the time. And, uh, and, and we're constantly thinking that way. More and more, we become this YouTube generation where, where we think that we are the center of the universe. And uh, this became pretty, uh, uh, pretty real to me when I went to Starbucks uh, a little while ago. I, I went to go purchase uh, my drink. I can't really pronounce it. It's like speaking in tongues, and then they just kind of understand, and then they're like, okay, sounds good. Venti and caramel macchiato, blah, 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 right? And then, uh, and then, so what I did is I decided, you know, and then after you order it, you just have to walk to the side, and then um, and they grab your drink once they're ready. Well, after ordering, I decided to go over, and there's a magazine area, to go over there and kill some time looking at some magazines so that, you know, instead of me just standing around doing nothing, I would make better use of my time. So I just sort of walked away after ordering, started looking at magazines. And then I hear my name being yelled out, and I look over, and there's a long lineup of people, and the guy behind the, the counter being like, you gotta pay. I'm like, oh. I put the magazine back. I felt like a heel. Come over, and he's thinking I'm probably the most arrogant guy on earth. I make my order and I just walk away. It's like, I'm too good to pay now. And, and so anyways, I come back. I look and I'm like, I am so sorry that that happened. And he, he thought it was funny. He's like, you know what? I thought it was so ridiculous. I was looking around for hidden cameras. <laughs> and I'm like, that makes me feel even worse because that's only like in extreme situations. I, te- I tend to be a magnet for some of those situations. Anyways, I started thinking about that. Whenever something unique happens now, it's like people are looking around for hidden cameras. Because we're thinking we're in a music video. Oh, that's cool. It's going to be viral, right? No, it's actually no cameras. Oh, never mind then, right? And so we have this mentality that we are the center of the universe. That's not true. I believe that if you have a hard time with this concept that, that you need to come back to the cross, that you need to understand, like I said before, that, that, that you were bought with a price and you are no longer your own. The fact is that you were chosen out of an infinite universe of matter to have a relationship with the creator God. And that is all that you need. That should be enough. That a that the God who created atoms and subatomic particles had you in mind. But the thing is, even if God didn't love you, even if God, in the moment of sin, was like, oh, wow, they really messed up. There's a huge divide between me and my loved uh, creations. Things that I made in my own image now are separated and it drives me insane. But the only way to atone for that is to send something pure. To send something that that has no sin in it. The only thing that exists in the the universe that I created is myself. Whoa. To send myself, Jesus Christ, my son, to send him to die for them who rejected me to begin with, that's, that's too much. So even if God didn't love you and, and, and they're like, okay, that's too heavy, we would still have to worship God. 
Even if he didn't love us, even if he didn't care for us, simply for one reason. He is God, we are human. See, a lot of times we put conditions. Yeah, I love God because he loved me first, you know? And, and, and I think that that is great. I think that loving God is a fantastic thing. But I think that there's an element there we often miss, is that we also worship God because he's God. Because we are subject to his will. Cool thing is, God does love us. Cool thing is, God did decide to put himself on the cross to become a part of the painting in which he painted. The painter became the paint and died for you. That should rock your world. Irreversibly. God is love. In 1 John 4, 8, it says, whoever does not... Um, Love does not know God because God is love. God owes you nothing. You may say my devotional life is non-existent. My prayer life sucks. It's not where it should be. My question is, what are you you praying for? Uh, All the things that you think that you're entitled to in life? Where are you coming from when you approach God? How's your tone? How are you approaching God? Are you, are you approaching him with thanksgiving? Or are you, are you approaching him with uh, the you owe me mentality? Now, I don't think that we're often that blunt with God that you owe me. But I think our heart is that blunt. I think that that's what God listens to. I don't think that God necessarily listens to the, word, the exact words. He, he understands your heart. God has given us salvation. Case closed. Book closed. Done. Apart from this, we need nothing else. Anything on top of that is bonus. And we love bonuses, don't we? Bonuses are awesome. Except for the fact that we often expect bonuses if we get them once in a while, right? This is very frustrating for employers because they try to bless their workers. But if you bless them too much, they're always going to accept, want those blessings. I remember working at a factory and all of a sudden, you know, our bonuses kept getting higher and higher. Things are looking good. It was fantastic. All of a sudden, 2008 came around. Boom! Everything came to a close. And when we got our $50 Walmart gift certificates, we were just furious. Well, except for me, because I'm like, woo, buy a lot of action figures with this. And, and so, but most of everyone else who's been working there longer has been expecting it just to keep growing. And they expected, they counted. Like, I counted on this bonus. I got a pool I need to put in and all this other stuff. We often think that way with God, don't we? We start expecting things like health and, and money. And when we don't get them, our prosperity gospel seeps through. You don't have to be yelling, God, give me money, in order to be all for prosperity gospel. Life is a gift. It's not a right. We need, to, we need to come to terms with that. Life is a gift. It is not a right. Every breath that you're taking right now has God's permission to come in as oxygen and release as CO2. God gave it permission. It's a gift from God. Every meal that you eat, every flavor, whether it be good or bad, it's a gift. Every day at your job, even if it blows, it's a gift from God. You're getting a paycheck from that gift. 
Every night under a roof is a gift. Every good morning you get from a grandchild or a child or a friend, those are all gifts from God. James 1.17 says that every good and perfect gift comes from God. How would you walk if you actually believe that? How would you talk? How would that change? How would that di- dictate how you would relate to your children? How would that dictate how you related to your parents if you believe that your parents are a gift? And those teens who, who have fathers, I live on Orange Street. I'm surrounded by houses full of kids who don't even know who their father is. How would you talk to your dad if you knew, if you believed that he was a gift from God? How would that change you? I bet you for husbands, your wives coming home late from shopping instead of, you know, freaking out and looking at the receipts, you would be excited because they came home safe. Now all the wives are going to go shopping this afternoon. Every breath that we have is a gift from God. Entitlement robs you of your humility towards God and it strikes down your joy for serving him. That's what it does. That's what I believe that it does. Entitlement robs you of your humility towards God and it strikes down your joy for serving him. We are about to engage in a very exciting month of celebrating missions. Now it was really great that, that Pete and Kathy got to report a little bit to get that spark going for us as we look at how, how God is using us to break in his kingdom in expected and unexpected situations. The truth is, some of you sitting here may get some heartstrings tugged on. Usually it's our sense of entitlement that keeps us from serving God wholeheartedly in those situations. So we just want to pray against that. I want to encourage you to give up your rights to this world. And I know for us, like that seems like so strange to even say that because we're so used to fighting for our rights. We've even forgot why we have, have rights to begin with. I want to dare you to read that scripture, Proverbs 30. I dare you to read that. I dare you to ask God for that heart. I'm not asking you to give up your job, whatever. I'm daring you to have heart surgery. I'm daring you to come to God with this instead of this. I challenge you to do that. To have an empty contract and say, God, I don't know what's all entailed in my life. There's a lot of details here. I've gone through these experiences, turned those experiences, even the bad the hurtful, the twisted ones, turn those into glorifying aspects to you because this is my empty contract. A life that is dictated by a ridiculous love alongside a beautiful God who desires an eternity with you, that is is our desire. That is what my prayer is for you. Let's pray. Lord God, you are a beautiful God. And even though you had millions, millions of reasons to not send Jesus, your heart was crushed, and we can read that in Genesis chapter 6, how you looked at creation right before you uh, sanctioned Moses. And you decided to to make a way 
The whole Old Testament is just filled with ways in which you connected is sending judges and, and sending uh, prophets in order to guide these people who constantly seemed lost. God, we are constantly lost. We're in a world that hates you and we're afraid because we know that loving you means that we will not be accepted by this world. But God, we pray that you would give us a peace that can only come from you a peace that is so powerful that even our rights to our own family we would give up. That we would be okay with sending off our children to missions when they go. Because we only borrowed them. Thank you so much for every single second that you give us with life. Help us to be thankful for that. And as now Thanksgiving comes around, Lord, we pray that you would just instill in us this heart, this heart that would just come with a clean slate. We have so many details and so much white noise. We got so many things going on outside of the church. God, we pray that that would just be wiped clean and that we would put you at the bottom of the triangle, that you would be our foundation and that we would, that we would see life through, through that, Lord. God, thank you so much for giving us this salvation. Undeserving as it is, your grace is so powerful. Thank you so much for what you're about to do. I pray these things in your name. Amen. Can we stand and sing a closing song?